Genesis 24. So we're making our way. It's a long chapter, but it's one story. And uh, not too many cross-references, but you know, as I was looking it over at the last little bit, I found a few more, but we'll see what we can... I'll read them. A Bride for Isaac. Let's just read the first uh, nine verses and talk about it. If we read the whole thing through, I don't know, let's read the whole thing through and, and then we'll, we'll come back and talk section at a time, I guess. Um, it's a, just a wonderful story. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that you will take, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and all, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. Well, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath, and do not take my son back there. Um, only do not do that. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, in the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city were coming out to draw water. And now let it be that the young woman whom I, uh, to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels to drink. Can you hear me? Did it cut out a little bit? I hope not. hope I got a battery. Um, anyways, and it happened before he had finished speaking that, Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her, a uh, pitcher on her shoulder. And now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, and no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, Drink, my lord. And then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. I'm going to use this other mic, Jerry, if you're back there. I think this other one's cutting out. It's not cutting out? Well, maybe it's just me. All right. My ears cut out all the time, I guess. So sorry. Now, where was I? Nineteen. And, and when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And then she quickly, quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the dwell to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. 
And so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a, a, a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And so, so she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And then the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. And now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to, to the man at the well. And so it came to pass, when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, This man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come on, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And then the man came into the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels, water to wash his feet, the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, Speak on. And so uh, he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old and to him has given all, and to him he has given all that he has. And now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, for my family, and for my father's house. And you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking, in my heart there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water, and I said to her, Please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And he said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring in her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed my head to worship and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the, uh, the daughter of my master's brother for his son. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, 
Well, the thing comes from the Lord. We can't speak to you either bad or good. And here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife. And the Lord has spoken, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard the words that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us for a few days, at least ten. And after that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. And so they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he had dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to, to mediate, meditate, I'm sorry. Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. And then Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. And so she took a veil, covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and, she, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Amen. A lot of, a lot of chapter there, but what a story. And how he recounts it for Laban and Bethuel to uh, testify of the Lord. Verses 1 through 9, Abraham sends his uh, servants to his father's house for a wife, for his son Isaac. Back in Genesis 15, one of the things we're going to talk about right up front is what this um, servant represents. And um, back in chapter 15, verse 2, it says... Uh, um, well, verse 1 and 2, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and exceedingly great reward, promising him uh, his descendants and a son. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Being heir of the house, being a servant. And uh, he, you know, he had not... Um, had Ishmael yet, this is chapter 15, but uh, so we find that in chapter 24, we know the name of that servant. It's his old, his oldest servant, and um, Eliezer was the one who would inherit everything if, if he hadn't had any kids, and so that was certainly Eliezer, but for, there's a reason why in this chapter, chapter um, 24, he goes nameless. It's his name's not mentioned. Um, Jesus said the volume of the book, including Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, was written of him. 
in Psalm 40, which is a messianic psalm, in Hebrews 10, and in Matthew 24, he states that plainly. Everything written here is about Jesus Christ. His Father sends the Holy Spirit into the world to find a bride uh, for him, as Abraham sends his servant at this time, nameless, for a reason, to find a bride for Isaac. How? Well, when we believe, we put our trust in the Lord, put our trust in Jesus Christ, believing his gospel, and we're born again in Acts chapter 2. Um, you know, Jesus, after the resurrection, and he ascends into heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit. Um, he gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us, to dwell in us, and that we bear spiritual fruit and live as we are led by him. Um, I didn't put these down for you to turn to, but I'm going to maybe read them to you plainly why the Holy Spirit was given in John 7, there's so many. The entire book of Acts, I think, minus two or three chapters, talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Lord um, works through his Holy Spirit in us and um, in testimony of, of Jesus. In John seven thirty-seven and 39, it's uh, um, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And uh, in chapter 14, uh, 15 through 18, it's, uh, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. It's not just for now, it's forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells, in, dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you through his Holy Spirit. In the uh, same chapter, 25 and 26, but, uh, yes, but uh, this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law, they hated me without a cause, he had gone through a dispute with these, the Pharisees in 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Don't forget that. The Holy Spirit, why does he come? To testify of Jesus Christ. And then you, in verse 27, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In uh, chapter 16, 5 through 15 is a little stretch, but um, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? And, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. Or if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Notice that. 
But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. Notice that. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All of these, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, as I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. He is sent by the Father to draw out a bride for his Son dwelling in us. We are these instruments. We are the instruments he uses to witness and to testify and reach the lost. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's interesting to me that the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding over the face of the deep when all this was created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, including all humanity that was created for him. And there's the Holy Spirit right there seeing that creation, a part of that. Not only that, before all of that, um, for just jotting your notes, we don't have to turn there, John 17, Ephesians 1, Hebrews 4, First um, Peter 1, and Revelation 13, all of these say that it was established before the foundation of the earth that he would come into the world and die on the cross for our sins. You know, there was the Holy Spirit with Jesus at creation, brooding over the deep before anything was created. And even before that, it was already, the deal was done that Jesus would come into this world and die for our sins so that the Holy Spirit could draw out a bride for him, for his son, providing redemption, reconciliation, salvation for mankind. When the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, Peter goes, uh, well, they were all speaking in tongues and all these different uh, nations are, are uh, people of na- different nationalities are hearing the gospel in their own language. And Peter goes out uh, after this and preaches and 3,000 people get saved. The indwelling and the power empowering uh, of the Holy Spirit is given to us to reach the lost. He's in us, and we, he was in the person who witnessed each one of us. And whether it was Billy Graham on the TV set or Greg Laurie or Ray Comfort or any of these guys, you know, the Holy Spirit was in them and through them and through God's word that drew each one of us to him. Now he's in us. We're born again. Now why is he in us? Well, so that we can live a godly life, yeah, but also that we can also continue now to draw a bride to Jesus. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us. So um, we can learn a lot. Uh, The story of Abraham's servant fits that nature and that character and that example for us of the Holy Spirit and how he went and he drew out a bride for God's son, or for uh, Isaac. And uh, we learn a lot from how God uses these guys like Ray Comfort and Billy Graham and, and uh, Greg Laurie and others. But we have a story right here how we can learn right from God's word how this servant that goes without a name because he wants all the attention to be on Jesus. He wants everybody to know it's the Father who sent him. We can learn a lot from this passage. And so we have Isaac, the firstborn, the only son, set apart to God for the descendants and to inherit the land through him, the seed of promise. Abraham commands his servant that he does not take Isaac, a wife, from among the Canaanites, but rather go to you know, his land, his country, his father's house, his relatives. Well, the reason for that is because God promised his descendants he would, would inherit this land, not intermarry with them and become 
just part of the big melting pot of the Canaanites. And he, so he sends him to the family, his family, to take a wife from there. Um, he sends him to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. If you remember, Nahor was Abraham's fa- uh, brother. And so this would be uh, uh, Nahor's, or Bethuel would be Nahor's son. So uh, Laban and Rebekah are grandkids. And so it's, what is that, third cousins or something like that, once removed. Anyway, I don't know how that all works, but um, five things we see in this example of uh, Genesis 24, how the servant, Abraham's servant, wins a bride for Isaac. In 24, verses 10 through 14, um, we read through verse 12, notice, He says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. He prays, but he doesn't pray for himself, but he prays for success, that he would have success, but for his master's sake. The same way you and I pray, Lord, for your kingdom's sake, you know, use me somehow. Not so I can get all these benefits, but so that you can, so I can, you know, be used by you. Isn't that our prayer, just like what he did? You know, um, he expects God to work. He already expects him to work. Abraham sent him. So he's got his dependence on the Lord. In Mark 16, 15, the Lord says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creatures. He says, we can expect God to be doing this through us. You know, we may not all be evangelists or called to evangelism. That's a gift. It's one of the gifts. There are many gifts. And uh, one of them is gift of evangelism. But like we've said before, each one of us, though, has a testimony to be able to say this is what God did. And we'll see in this chapter, uh, he repeats it to these guys. This is what God did to bring this about. And um, his servant does that. But, um, you know, we are the ones that bring the word. We're the ones that have it in us, the Holy Spirit, and then we're the ones that know the word. And through that, we win people. Um, Romans 10, if you want to turn there, just two verses, 14 and 15, says, How then shall they call? Now, I should back up the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Israel and God dealing with Israel. Um, and there's a lot there. Uh, it's a great, great passage. Um, okay, I'll just throw it out there. If you ever get the opportunity, you want to understand Israel, who's in the land right now, you want to understand how the church became the, the seed of Abraham by faith, but yet there's still something going on in Israel. Read through these three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Take a notebook and draw two lines down the notebook. In the first column, put Israel. In the next column, put the church. In the next column, uh, or the first column, put uh, Jacob. And the idea is that you see when God is talking about the faith that Abraham had that we have, that we're children of Abraham, but not that we've replaced Israel. There is still an Israel. There is still um, the people that Paul said if he could, he would give up his own life for them, his own salvation for them. Kind of like the way Moses uh, would have given up his life for the Lord, just kill me and let these people remain alive. Anyway, getting sidetracked. 14 and 15, he says, um, Regarding these guys, you know, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him uh, of whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so, how shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We bring a gospel of peace. We bring glad tidings. We bring good things. Uh, it's only a bummer or a buzzkill or you know, a downer if they're unwilling to believe. But that doesn't change the fact that we have the gospel of salvation and eternal life. We indeed have glad tidings um, to those who believe, and really for the whole world. And yes, it does throw you know, cold water on those that are reveling in their sin. Well, that's conviction. What do we read about the Holy Spirit? He came into the world to convict the world of sin. Um, in Genesis 24:13, he says, His job is to find which one the Lord has chosen. He has these camels that need water. And it's that time of day when the women are coming out for water. So he pulls up by the well and waits. He puts before the Lord a way that he can show him who he's looking for. And whichever one gives me some water. You know, there's certainly many that would give him water if he asks. You know, it's just a common kindness. But then to say after she does that, if she offers to bring water for my camels, 10 camels who can drink up to 20 gallons apiece, that's 200 gallons of water this girl is bringing up. That's one in a million. That's not somebody that just is showing a little kindness to the guy. Now, um, there's a chance that she may have had some of her maids with her at this point, but it doesn't say that. So, and she runs to do that. She goes quickly to do all that. It says, she's one in a million. We may not expect to see signs like this when we're witnessing to people, um, but we can pray for opportunities. You know, when, you know, if we're willing that uh, we can just see what the Lord is doing and show up there, watch and wait, hanging out, and then be sensitive to you know, the willingness of someone who God might have be bringing to himself, and then be sensitive to that. And if, if they want to hear what we have to say, or want to hear the word, want to hear the gospel, are they willing to have a conversation about God? And how do they respond when they hear the name of Jesus Christ? Some people, that's it. I'm out of here as soon as you mention him. You know, you can sense when the Holy Spirit is dealing with somebody and working in their lives. Um, you can see if there's conviction. You might not know it right away. It might not be the first time around as you, as you, you know, talk to people. But you can see if there's a brokenness, the kind of brokenness that longs for godliness. You know, a lot of people are sorry for their sins, but mostly sorry because they got caught. And uh, sometimes it's all it is. But when there's real brokenness there, it's because they want to be godly. They, they want to be what they're supposed to be. They want to do right. Not be righteous, self-righteous, but do the rightly things and be righteous. Um, at times like this, um, let's look at uh, 24, 15 through 21 was that next section. That first section is, is, the, is the, the present, or the, uh, what was it? I had a name for it. Oh, he, he prays. This is basically five things that through this chapter. The first one is praying. But uh, 
you know, times like this, you want to pray with your eyes open because before you even got done praying, there she was coming down the path and, and just like that, he's got to get up and go and run over there to beat her at the well. So you want to pray with your eyes open at times like that. And he runs to ask her in verses 15 through 21. Um, he wants to confirm. Let's see if this is the one. He runs to ask her. And she's not only happy to give him water, but tells him without asking, you know, I'm going to water your, your camels also. And she runs quickly to do it. Abraham's servant, then it says, just silently gazes or wonders at her, wondering how God was prospering his journey. Is this the one? And if so, look at this. He's, he's wondering at it. If this is a picture of the people that God has brought into our lives, um, you know, how are they like Rebecca? Because, you know, when I came into the guy's life that uh, he, was, he was running a guitar shop downtown and uh, coming in there, you know, crying on his shoulder about my problems, I didn't even know him that well, but he was such a friendly guy and the Lord just kind of moved in a way that, that uh, he was kind of one of those guys that could open up to. And uh, what was I? I wasn't, you know, like Rebecca who was willing to serve and, and all of that. I was a, a dirty, rotten sinner. Thought I was kind of had my own righteousness, just trying to figure out, you know, how to fix things in my life. Um, but really, uh, you know, we're more likely to see people who are, you know, given over to their sin, given over to worldliness, quite a bit less pure and virtuous than Rebecca was. For that, to meet such a one, let's go to John chapter 4. A story that I'm sure you're, many of you are familiar with. What a picture of God's grace and mercy. And, you know, people talk about being inclusive in the church and in the body of Christ. And you better believe every single person is welcome if they're seeking the Lord, but not so that they can have their sin condoned. And that seems to be what the inclusiveness is these days in the church and in the world that. Uh, wants to just promote every wickedness that's out there. Uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 30. So Jesus was going up, and he uh, needed to go through Samaria rather than walk around. Uh, they didn't hang out with each other, as we'll read. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, thus sat uh, by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Well, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Well, then the woman of Samaria said to him, Well, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings uh, with Samaritans. Well, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift, um, let's stop there. She wasn't even going to talk to him at first. You know, you know, he asked her, and she goes, well, what are you talking to me for? You know, what a contrast to Rebecca. It's like, yeah, here's some water. But she's going, what do you want with me? You know, go away. Don't talk to me. What are you talking to me for? And, and uh, that's the attitude that's there. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus tells her about the gift of God 
He's talking about living water. That's not just any old water. Um, you know, he, he himself is the gift, and he's also the one giving it. Um, living water, giving her life. In verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And uh, verse 12, he, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? The Samaritans uh, were also uh, descendants of Jacob and all. She doesn't understand, though, what he means, but wants to know where he's going to get this water. This sounds like a trick. This sounds like some entertainment. I think I'm going to watch. Verse 13, 14, she, he says back to her, he says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will come in will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Now he leads her to a different water, something spiritual, something eternal, something that's going to spring up in her eternal life. Um, he makes her aware starting to make her aware that there's another thirst that she has, that we all have, an emptiness that we all have without Jesus Christ. And she's, he's starting to make her aware. In verse 15, um, the woman said to him, Well, sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw anymore. So she's kind of thinking this sounds like a good deal, but she's also kind of wondering what is this eternal aspect of all of this. She's come from not wanting to talk to him at all. Now she wants to know what's going on. Uh, what is this water that will satisfy the emptiness of a thirsty and lost soul? He's brought her around to deeper things, a little more, spiritual things. But now he brings her all the way to salvation. But she needs to know who he is, just like people that we talk to need to know who Jesus is, reaching out to them when we witness to them. It's an example for us that they don't need to know us really so much. They need to know him. And the more we're kind of out of the way and allowing him to lead, the better. And so uh, verse um, 16, call, go call your husband, he says to her, and come here. Well, and the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. Say what? And the one whom you have now is not your husband at all. So, yeah, you're right. You've spoken truly. Well, now she knows that she's standing in front of somebody. And she says, she knows more. This is more about a conversation about water, about a well. And, uh, you know, she knows that uh, they walk, worship together uh, at this mountain where Jacob has a well. That's where she worships. And we'll see what Jesus has to say about that. But, but it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, um, you know, she knows. She also knows the Messiah is coming, as we'll read. She knows about the seed of promise. Talking about Jacob? Well, Jacob's father was Isaac. We're talking about Isaac tonight. The seed, the, the heir, the, heir uh, the inheritance. Um, she has religion, but she hasn't met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So in verses uh, 16 through 19, um, go call your husband. So 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. He goes, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem it's the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Notice he says, she doesn't, she doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't know what she's worshiping. We know what we worship, being the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, can't imagine her face, I who speak to you am he. i got to go tell somebody. I just saw him, the Messiah. Unlike Rebecca, this one had known a few men <laughs> and was living in sin at the time. You know, um, and she wasn't going to serve anybody. I mean, she had husbands and you got had to serve her husbands. Well, now she's done with that. She's just living with a guy. And, you know, if there's no commitment, you know, things get tough, you just take off. There's no serving. Salvation is of the Jews, but Jesus says, the true worshipers, those who would, in other words, anyone who would seek to truly worship the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true worshiper will worship in spirit and truth. She knows that she's talking to the Messiah, and he even says so. She knows about the Messiah. She knows about the seed of promise. But he says, in spirit and truth, only in Jesus can this woman be made white as snow, pure and blameless like Rebecca, just like us. You know, we go and we look at the story about Rebecca, and here she is like the perfect example of, of the bride of Christ. And she is a perfect example of the bride of Christ. But so are we now. We weren't before this. We weren't before we met the Messiah. We were a mess, to put it nicely. Um, and so, but here she is now. She meets the Messiah. And now if she wants to worship in spirit and truth, she can. Because he makes her white as snow, pure, blameless. Just like Rebecca, when she was brought to Isaac, Notice he says, believe me. We're not asking anybody to believe us, like I said, but rather to put their faith in him, believe his word, and believe him, look to him. Back to Genesis 24, the next section is preparation. Abraham's servant, 22 through 27. When his camels had finished drinking, he took the gold nose ring and weighed half a shekel and two bracelets and put it on her. And, but he wants to find out more. I mean, this isn't a, isn't a guarantee just yet. I mean, in the next couple of verses, he's already ready to say, hey, I'll go left or right if, if this isn't the one, if you're not willing. So he wants to do a little preparation and find out uh, who she is. It's the same for us. We, you know, she, he asks her who, is, who her family is and all, and whose daughter are you, and she tells him and all. And he praises the Lord, he worships. But, you know, now he knows this is the one. He gives her these gold rings and bracelets. He asks her relation. 
uh, as Abraham had required. Remember, do not take one from, you know, go and take one from my father's house, not the Canaanites. And again, she offers this provision at her father's house for him and his camels. But notice, again, he prays again. But this time he's worshiping the Lord, saying out loud so, so she can hear. God gets the glory for his master's sake. And we're talking about how we share, how the Holy Spirit works through us to share with people. You know, how, how the, uh, uh, you know, we give God the glory for it. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We want to point to Jesus and all. And this is just more of that example. And it's more of that preparation as we try and see maybe the background. What's, you know, we don't ask people what their father is, who's their dad, or anything like that, like he did. But in order to find out their background, in order to, to, to know, to see, maybe sense whether or not the Holy Spirit's working in their lives, convicting, and uh, making them hungry for righteousness. In Genesis 24, 29 through 33, he's, he's uh, you know, we just read about Laban. His brother comes out, sees his wealth, hears the account of his sister, welcomes him to his father's house, and he prepares a meal. But in 34 through 53, well, this is the presentation. Now the Holy Spirit and you and I, when we're witnessing with people, we declare what's been going on that we would even come talk to these people. Why, why did I even come talk to you? Well, this is what's been going on. Here's how the Lord brought me to this place. And, and here's what my testimony. Like I said, we don't have to be, have the gift of evangelism. We can be called to do simple things and just go about our daily lives, you know, glorifying him and as unto him not just walking in sin and just living your life for yourself. But, you know, you go to your job. You've got to provide for your family. And, you know, you, you go through your life, and maybe it's just that your testimony of what God has done in you and how he saved you is maybe the only thing you're going to have to tell people. That's what he tells them. He's given in the presentation. And uh, if you're an evangelist, well, this applies to you as well, but also you have that gift. You can get up there in front of thousands of people or you can get out on the street and you can, like if you've ever seen Ray Comfort, it's such a good example. If you get a chance, it's Living Waters. It's on YouTube and, and um, I'm amazed YouTube doesn't take him down, but they don't. And he's, he's there. If you haven't seen him, it's, it's good to see. I watch him everyone, every time he comes out with a new one. It's the same steps he takes, but the response of the people and, and is how we learn how to, to, to move through the conversation. And his is right there. He's an evangelist. He doesn't live with these people. He does, he's not in their family. He doesn't work with these people. Um, he's got the gift of hitting the streets and being right out there preaching the gospel. Um, but he declares the glory of his master, Abraham. Why? Well, because Isaac is the heir. Rebecca, you're going to be the bride of the heir of all the things of the father. All that Abraham has will become Isaac's and the promised descendants and the promised seed you know this is this is what the servant declares to um, Rebecca and her family and gives that account what glories do we present to the people we're sharing with well he's God Almighty and Romans 1 tells us all people know by looking at creation that there is a God he is Almighty God. He possesses heaven and earth. He's the creator of all there is. What else? We testify of Jesus Christ. He's the heir. He's the son. He's the king of kings, lord of lords. He's the one that sits at the right hand of the Father, and there's evidence. 
There's eyewitnesses, and we got you know four eyewitnesses direct of what happened on the cross and the resurrection, and five with Paul. And there's others. There were hundreds that saw him raised after he rose from the dead and that saw him raise up into heaven, ascend up into heaven. And so we testify of Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. Now, whose love for us was made known through his death for our sins and the resurrection for our salvation and eternal life. That's a, that's a testimony. That's a witness. That's what we can present to people once we've gotten to that point in our relationship with them or in the conversation we're having with them. Um, Abraham's servant tells a story. We can tell our story. What's our story? Well, our salvation, uh, eternal life that we have our hope in. And they can see in our lives, this guy, you know, things don't bug him. You know, how come he's not upset that he's got to pay taxes every April? And how come he ain't trying to cheat like the rest of us? And, and so there's a testimony and a witness. How he asked God to show him the one and how it happened right before his eyes, sitting there wondering at her and how God would prosper his journey. He recounts that whole thing, that whole presentation to Laban and Bethuel and his whole household. He tells them it was God doing it and not his own plans, not his own tricks. It's his testimony of what God did, like our testimony all that God does in our lives according to his word. You know, God, a lot of things happen to us. And sometimes, you know, we do things and all. Sometimes other people do things that they're doing in their own strength. What's important for people to know is what God did in their lives that lines up with his word. Because, you know, they get saved or maybe they just start looking. Did that guy say that this? What well, says right near the word? That's not how it happens. You know, whatever your testimony is, it's going to have to line up with God's word. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do, is going to confirm his word to them. Our testimony is not so that we can start our own church group, get a fan club, but it's to point to Jesus, to win them to Jesus out of the world, just like Rebecca was coming out of a far country to the inheritance of Isaac. And there's just a bit of wisdom. If you look at Laban and Bethuel's response, they answered very wisely, they said, if it's the Lord, then we're not going to say a thing. I mean, that's good for me. I, you guys are fine. I know you're fine. I got a problem with talking too much. And um, sometimes I just get my face in the way, and it's not the Lord at all. But they were smart. They were wise enough to say, you know what? If the Lord's doing this thing, um, what are we going to say, good or bad? You know, take her. And so, um, you know, we... we after all this, it's you know, still her choice. Um, in verses 54 through 58, you know, uh, they ate and drank and stayed all night. They rose in the morning and all, and mother and brother. Uh, is this where the right verses? Well, basically it was the invitation uh, at that point. They wanted to, uh, to keep her for 10 days and talk to her and figure stuff out, but... Nevertheless, the invitation's there. Her brother and mother said, let the young woman stay with us for a few days, at least ten. They may, then, then she can go in after that. And he said to them, don't hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. And then they finally said, okay, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. And then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? 
Not you better go with this man. Not check all this stuff out. We're rich. He's got money. And, and she said, I will go. It was her choice. It was an invitation. You know, after all this, it's still her choice. After seeing everything, she would have to leave the security, the protection, the comfort of her home and family and go with this guy she just met two weeks ago or two days ago to, uh, you know, drive across the land to see another guy that she's going to give her life to that she's never met before in her whole life. You know, but she had a testimony. Her mother and her brother try and change the, uh, the arrangement, but Abraham's servant's not willing to put up with that. Either she's going to leave all and go with him, or he's just going to go and look elsewhere. Nobody is twisting her arm at this point. You know, He's talking to the family, and uh, here it is. Here's your decision. Nobody's twisting your arm. Are you going to go? And she says, I will go. She has the testimony. It's a good, and pros- good prospect and a glorious future. The servant had evidence of the wealth and the inheritance. How important it is for us to lay out the gospel, to lay out and clarify who the Lord is and what he has for us. The Holy Spirit bears witness to God's word if we will use God's word when we're sharing with people. The testimony of Jesus Christ, the evidence of his death and resurrection we talked about, that's the power of God unto salvation. We are asking them to decide, but each person has to choose for themselves. You can't choose for somebody else. Even if they're only eight weeks old and you want to take them over and dunk them in some water, you can't choose for them. They have to choose for themselves. And, and it's then that they're, they're uh, born again. And the, finally, the last part of the chapter, the end of the story, you know, Isaac takes Rebecca for his wife. The nature and the character of the Godhead, the Trinity, are represented here in Genesis 24. God the Father sending his Son to die for the sins of the world. With Jesus Christ now at his right hand of glory, the Father sends his Holy Spirit to draw out a wife, to draw out a bride for his Son, the heir of all things for all eternity. A couple things to remember from all of this. First of all, like we said, the Holy Spirit does not speak for himself. He only says what he's been given to say when it comes to drawing out a bride for God's Son He only and always points to Jesus and the glory of God. He only testifies of what the Father has done to provide forgiveness of sin and a way of redemption and salvation. He's the one, the Bible said, that brings conviction of sin. So what's our part? Well, we read it. These steps, we pray and share the gospel as you're led, but then you're looking for a confirmation. You You don't just keep on pounding it down until they, you know, again, a simple catchphrase, the Holy Spirit is not in the arm-twisting business. It's, it's going to be a, a drawing. It's going to be a decision. It's going to be a willingness uh, for people to come. Why would, you know, it kind of goes back to the whole uh, tying into a big hornet's nest of Calvinism and, and uh, you know, that whole bit. You know, why would God want a bunch of robots who were forced to come to him, be his bride. And, and uh, what kind of love is that? Dave Hunt puts it in his book. What, what love is this? That uh, people would be forced by a, a God of you know, unlimited power and strength to love and worship him? 
Isn't that the definition of a robot? You know, you, it's something that's forced and built. You built it for yourself just to make it do what you want it to do. Well, he made us in his image, and part of that, if not all of that, is the, the free, sovereign will that each one of us has. That, that uh, what's the word? Um, autonomy that each one of us has for our own will to choose and to draw close to him. So pray. Share the gospel as you're led. But look for a confirmation that the Lord's working in this person's life. Worship him and give him the glory when you see that. You know, uh, present the gospel. If they think they have no need for a savior, well, then you have to wake up their conscience a little bit. It's in there. The Bible says that his law is written on our hearts. And maybe you've got to give them a few of the Ten Commandments and ask them, have you kept these your whole life without fail to the last bit? Well, if they're going to be honest, then they're going to have to admit that they have not. And if they don't admit it, well, then they're liars. So they are. They're at least admitting that. What do you call a person who tells lies? A liar. What do you call a person who steals? A thief. They're lying thieves. And you can go down the list. Um, Present the gospel. If they think they have no need for a Savior, then wake up their conscience. The Ten Commandments for a standard. Then you can tell them his blood shed for them makes them white as snow. And they can come to him blameless, without spot. Let's go to Colossians. Um, this is good for us to see for ourselves, one for you to write down. And I'm sure we've been here in the past few months, at least once. But that is a awful intimidating goal, to be spotless, to be blameless. In fact, that word blameless, if you look it up, it literally means that if given the opportunity to look at every single nook and cranny throughout your entire life thoroughly, they still can't find anything. How is that possible? How can we sit here and, and face that? Well, Colossians 1, 19 through 23. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies, did you know you were enemies before you got saved? In your mind, by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which uh, I, Paul, have become a minister. You know, it has been preached to all under heaven, but how is it that we're blameless? Well, because he died in our place, right? We should be put to death for our sins. In fact, that's, you know, the definition of death. Biblical definition of death is wages. Wages for your sins. And people don't realize that. They think, well, death is just something that's coming our way and it's inevitable and everybody dies, gets old, and it's just the way of nature. No, it's wages. Until the fall of man in the garden, there was no death. And then there was death because that was the wages. The soul that sins shall surely die, he says. And then we make an invitation. And if they decide to come, well, then we lead them to Jesus. Once they see Jesus, they go to him, and just like when each one of us was called and we called on him from our own hearts, only God can do that, right? But we still had to decide. 
It's uh, kind of like a, a, a uh, what's the word, a paradox. God does it in us, but we still have to decide. Um, that final act of the will is up to us. We are autonomous creatures, but he loves us. He made us for himself, but he made us like him, that we have a, a will to choose to be with him. That's all I got. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we are so grateful, as always. and You are so faithful to us, and we know that you're faithful to your word. And so, Father, we just ask, whatever it is that we're struggling with, pray that you just help us to lay it in your, your hands, put it at your feet, and continue to uh, rest in the finished work of the cross. And more than anything, like we sang tonight, please keep your kingdom before us, that our hearts would long for your kingdom, long for eternity. And we just lift that up to you. Please go with us this week as we go back into the world to, uh, to make a living and to raise our families and to, uh, to just be busy about the things you've called us to, faithful to the things that you've given us to do. We just pray that you'd be with us and bearing fruit, giving us opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work through us to draw people to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.